Everybody having a good week so far? It is the first day of the week, so I'm looking for a lot of yeses. It's good to see everybody. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful spring day we're having this winter. Looking forward to some warm weather, not just sunny, but sunny and warm. <coughs> I apologize right now. I've been trying to kick this whole upper respiratory thing. Is like, it's like everybody here, in our, all Tom and I and everybody, we've been kicking the same thing. So I might periodically pause for coughing. I am a well man. I just, my lungs haven't quite figured that all out yet. So I apologize if I get a little coffee this morning. It is good to see everybody. I was, I was praying and preparing, looking at what I had, uh, what I felt like I was supposed to share this morning. Um, for a little brief millisecond, I entertained the idea of wrapping up this Exodus thing today. Then I put that out of my mind. I'm, I'm not even going to approach that. But we are going to look at another little aspect of it, which is actually one of the most, uh, it is the thread through the Bible. It is the thread. Now, we looked at the gospel, and where the gospel, we see glimpses of how uh, we try to make the gospel into something understandable when we talked about the golden calf. And um, I'm just going to kind of, I'm not going to do a lot of review because as I look at, most of you have been here for some or most of the uh, teachings on this period of history that we're looking at. But um, I do want to have a, a little bit of a review. Remember, we talked about, we've talked about the golden calf scandal and what all, uh, what all happened, like the Israelites, what all led up to that? They had been in bondage for hundreds of years in Egypt. And the promise that was given to Abraham, the promise that was given to Isaac and reiterated to Jacob who later was renamed Israel, which is the, this is where we get the nation of Israel. The 12 tribes, his sons, were turned into tribes. They ended up in Egypt. But the promise that was given to Abraham at the, at the making of the golden calf still hadn't been realized. You see, God had made a promise to Abraham that he was gonna make uh, him into many nations, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, and he was going to give them a specific tract of land. And at this point, as of yet, it was not, they were not there, it was not realized. This promise was still in its, uh, you, remember, you remember energy? Remember, the, anybody know the two kinds of energy? Anybody, this is science class, and you're all like, wait a second, science? I was just ready to go to sleep, we're done worshiping. There's potential energy, and then when you're using it, it's called kinetic. It's going kinetic. In the military, they talk about you can have a, a, a type of a standoff, and then as soon as somebody squeezes the trigger, it's what they call going kinetic. It's when your bullets go from in your clip or in your gun to in the air or hopefully in your target is when something goes kinetic. It's when it goes from potential, it may be, it's all there for it. How many of you know your, your fuel tanks on your vehicles are full of kinetic energy or potential energy? It ain't been burned yet. It becomes kinetic when it becomes combusted and it propels your vehicle. This is, the same can be true with promises. There's potential promises and then there's kinetic or active realized promises. And at this particular point, this was still in the potential form. It wasn't realized yet. It hadn't become an actual experience yet. But they had been rehearsing this promise for a long, long time. Which is what is so strange for us to understand that 
when they've experienced all of the magnificent deliverance that they had, and we're not gonna rehash every detail, we've done that a few times, all of the things that took place with combined a potential promise of receiving this inheritance, and it seems like, hey, we're realizing this, and as, as believers today reading it, you know, hindsight's 2020, we're looking back and we're reading it, we're saying, what was so hard about this? Just walk. You got the potential promise passed down for hundreds of years. Not only are we gonna be a huge, mag- massive people, but also we're gonna have a specific tract of land. We're being delivered from the land of Egypt, which was also prophesied. So as these things start to come true, you would think there would be, the natural thing would be to start believing and to keep believing and to believe more because you're continuing to see thing after thing after thing and yet we find ourselves at the foot of Mount Sinai building a golden calf. Not ourselves, but we find the story. We pick up the story here. And it's, (coughs) there's that cough. (coughs) Trey's gonna tell me, you prophesied that you were gonna cough and then you did, which is, there's a legit little bit of truth to that. As humans, we talked about, this is weeks and weeks ago, how waiting can lead to wandering if we allow it. That period of waiting can lead to just wandering anywhere, everywhere, all sorts of things. Why don't we make a calf? Why don't we make this God that's beyond the limits of even our ability to imagine? Let's make him something more. What about a calf? So they make the golden calf. In spite of all the things that God had done for them, they still had the desire to make a God more their size. And we looked at that in depth a couple weeks ago when the teaching was titled, Just My Size, if you remember that. But something I want to kind of rewind a little bit today, because we got to rewind in order to go forward into the next little bit here. But nearly all of this generation of Israelites were raised up entirely under the yoke of bondage to the Egyptians. You know, like, because none of them were 600 years old and had remembered, you know, none of, Reuben wasn't here anymore, Simeon wasn't here anymore, the children of Jacob, of Israel, that became the tribes, they weren't alive anymore. This is generations along, to the point that when Moses comes along and he returns, most of the people that marched out of there as adults, they'd been slaves their whole lives. That's all they'd ever known. In fact, I dare say, they had the mindset of a slave. Which, you know, there's a mindset that we can develop today that's a mindset of slavery. A mindset of subjection to something. They had this understanding, and how many of you know that a slave is a victim? Because they're not making their own decisions about what they're gonna do, what they're gonna eat, where they're gonna go, where they're gonna live, when they're gonna get up. They don't make any of these decisions. So to be a slave is to be a victim. And you can get that parked up here to the point where it doesn't matter what God does. It doesn't matter what you experience. If your mindset is still one of slavery, that's where, that's as, you will always limit your ability to experience God by your mindset of slavery. And these, these Israelites, we see this because how many of you, I mean, we're not gonna read all the details of the story. There's a one fairly long chunk of scripture we're gonna look at in a little bit here, but We see all through scripture, you guys are all familiar with the story of the Israelites, as soon as something gets difficult, like we just left Egypt after all 10 plagues, the first thing we encounter is the Red Sea. Our first first thought as Israelites with that slavery mentality is, 
Oh, Moses brought us out here to die. Like, well, maybe not. I mean, let's think back on the last 10 plagues. Maybe there's another plan. Maybe the same God that did all the last 10 plagues and promised to go with us, maybe he's still here, and maybe there's another plan. Nope, that slavery mentality, that that subjective victim mentality is always gonna look for the hopelessness in a situation. And how many of you know that in this life, we can find hopeless if we look for it? And you know what? Hopeless can find us, and we can open the door and say, come on in. In fact, we see that in our society today, and you see that from From the Red Sea on, this particular generation of Israelites, which the irony, and we've talked about this, we're not going to hash this all over again, but they had experienced more of God's miracles than any generation before them. Until the New Covenant believers come along, they experience the greatest level of of God's miraculous power of any people to live. And yet, because of their victim mindset, their knee-jerk reaction is when difficulty arises, oh, you brought us here to die. There's no way we're going to make it through this. Poor me. We're going to lose. We're going to be a victim yet again. And this goes on and on. I mean, it's, and it's almost ridiculous as people that are outside of this mindset that didn't have generations of literal physical slavery behind us shaping our mindset. We look at it, we're like, What is wrong with you? He just got you bread. You don't think he's capable of meat? What are you drinking? Supernatural water. And you think, oh, there's no way we could ever have food. We're just going to die out here of starvation. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you people? You All of these things that God delivered and did for you, and yet your mindset is still one of, I'm probably going to lose this round. I'm probably a victim This leads them to the very unfortunate conclusion, which becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, that they will be victims the remainder of their lives. And that's what they experience. They will be a victim the rest of their lives. They will never take the land that God called them to, that he promised to deliver for them. They'll never experience this whole generation of victim mindset people. Now, Interestingly enough, and this is not the sermon today, but this is something I want all of us as parents and grandparents to consider. Interestingly enough, what's the generation that does take the promised land? It's all their kids. It's the kids. They were kids during the plagues. They were kids during the Red Sea. They were kids during manna. They were a little bit older kids as they got water. They were a little bit older kids as they experienced God's deliverance all throughout the wilderness. What is that? Like, this should tell us something. As adults, we are predisposed to doubt, aren't we, as adults? Somebody tells you something, say, hey, you know what? I went to Mars and back today. Like, you didn't. I doubt it. You tell that to a five-year-old, and they're like, what was it like? As humans, when we get to a certain point, it's like, no, I'm just, we're just going to doubt. We, we think it's safer. This is what's ironic about this story. Again, this is not the message. The adults who had witnessed all of God's magnificent glory and deliverance were predisposed to say, I doubt it, because they thought it was safer We think there's safety in doubt, don't we? 
That's why we doubt, because we don't want to, what do they say in the medical community? You go in there and they say, we don't want you to get your hopes up. And so we oblige. Okay, we'll have no hope. We promise to go back with no hope. Where kids, it's like, you, they hope. We hope we're predetermined, predisposed to hope. We think it's safer to doubt. I'm telling you, church, it's safer to believe. It is safer as a believer in Jesus to step out in faith than it is to hang back in doubt. This story is the clearest picture in all of Scripture of this truth. It's, it costs them the promised land. Doubt costs them the promised land. I doubt it. They go, we're gonna get into this and I'm getting way ahead of my notes. They get into this place where they're at, this place called Kadesh Barnea, which is the border of the land of Canaan. If you look at it on a map, it's like we are at the very edge of the promised land. It's not like, you know, we've got some, we're experiencing some, some of the goodness of God here. No, we're at the edge. And we're looking over the edge. It's like, okay, what does... I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let's get to Deuteronomy chapter one, verses six through eight. We're gonna read this. We're gonna keep, I wanna try and keep, I get, I'm excited about this and and I have no anticipation of making it all the way through what I had, so uh, I'm just gonna take my time. Verse six, thank you. Verse six says, the Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb saying you have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Verse seven, turn, take your journey. (coughs) Go to the mountains of the Amorites to the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, and in the lowlands south, and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Verse eight, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. Deuteronomy gives us a glimpse. uh, We pick up in Deuteronomy chapter one, there's a little history that Moses wrote down for us so we can see some of the details of what took place. But see, God gave them the instruction. They're at the edge. Ready, set, roll. Verse 19, we're going to skip down to 19. There's this uh, story of the tribal leaders being appointed and some of what took place. We already have, well, we haven't looked at it here, but it's in Exodus also. Verse 19, so we departed from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. So they went through all this stuff, wandered through the wilderness. (coughs) Then they came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains. You're here, which the Lord our God is giving us. Verse 21, look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. Simple enough. We're here, we're at the edge, we're at the doorway to the place that the physical tract of land God promised you. So go. At this point, the number of miracles that these guys had experienced would blow our minds. And they're at the brink. Now remember, these were all the same adults. We're just gonna stick a pin in this because where we see fear happen is when we forget things. These are the same adults that had just experienced the defeat and destruction of the nation of Egypt. Just like you say, well, like how long ago? Okay, how many of you and I all remember if somebody says 2020 
Anybody remember anything from 2020? Some good. We, that was one of the best years of my family's life was 2020. But culturally, society-wide, it's like, whoa, 2020. It's, we've got a very clear, we remember, like for instance, the whole Rona deal, we remember when the mask came. We remember the shutdowns. We remember the things that all came with that. We remember them, don't we? we that's clear, pretty fresh in our memory. That's how close, that's, that's, it's actually probably that's a little further away for us, but that's an idea of how close this defeat they had just witnessed. They had just witnessed. So imagine that we were on the brink as a society, and this is not get prophetic, but imagine that you just heard a news thing about some disease. Would your mind as a human not immediately go back to that? Well, we just heard there's a disease and it's in some town and it's spreading like this. Our brains, it wouldn't, I would, nobody would have to give you note cards, flashcards. Okay, remember 2020? What was the thing you did on your face? The thing with the, the mask. There we go. We, nobody would have to do flashcards for that, would they? I'm, I'm excited about this, and I've heard some feedback. Sometimes I get loud, so Nick, if you want to pull it down, that's fine. I'm excited about this because I want to draw some very, very clear correlations. We would not need help remembering 2020. Our family didn't have the greatest year last year. We don't need any help remembering that. Although it seems like much of society loves to remind us of the difficulty of whether it be 2020 or our last six months as a family. We don't have any problem remembering that. And yet they get to the edge of the promised land. Pick up in verse 22 of Deuteronomy chapter one. Remember, the sentence before this As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear nor be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before and let them search out the land and bring back word to us. Bring back word us the way which we should go and the cities into which we shall come. Now, you see in verse 23, this plan pleased Moses. But what does this sound like? Sounds a little bit like doubt, doesn't it? Or at the very least, doubt is kind of a, that's a really a muddy word. Let's not throw that at him, Trey. Let's just uncertainty. When we encounter, when we get to the brink of the promises of God and it looks uncertain, <coughs> children, it's like, well, let's just believe and roll. I mean, we should just believe because we got the verse that says, we have the word of God that says, do not fear, be discouraged. So we could just remind ourselves of that tomorrow morning and then we could go. We're at the brink. We're at the edge. This is the place. Abraham got this promise. Remember, great, 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 grandpa Abraham got this promise. This is going to be our land. Here we are. Remember, the nation of Egypt didn't fare well against our God. In fact, they have no military now of any kind. Remember we watched the wagon, the wheels and the chariot floating down the red. It's like, well, there's no more of them. So why would fear rule the day? Because for some strange reason as humans, we have this predisposition to remember bad things and sort of maybe tend to forget the details of the good. It's pretty quick. We forget this golden calf deal it reveals to us much about the conditions of the Israelites' hearts. 
They were uncertain of the magnitude of what it means to have the Lord as their God and his presence with them. They made it to Kadesh Barnea, the border of the land of Canaan. Fear and uncertainty carried the day because they were not certain and settled about who went before them and who went with them. We're going to keep reading at verse 23. We're going to read all the way down to verse approximately 40. So you guys follow along. It'll be on the screen or you can follow along in in your Bibles. I just think this is a really good way to get this story into us. Verse 23, this is Moses talking. The plan pleased me well. Moses is like, all right, let's send spies out. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe. They departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. They brought back word to us saying, it is a very good land which the Lord our God is giving to us. Nevertheless, in spite of, in other words, this good report, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Verse 28, where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, (coughs) we've seen the sons of the Anakim Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God, who what? Goes before you. He will fight for you. According to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. We're going to circle back to that in a minute. And in the wilderness where you saw the Lord God carried you as a young, as a man carries his son in the way you went until you came to this place. Verse 32, yet for all that you did not believe. You did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Verse 34, and the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath saying, surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. Another translation reads, he wholeheartedly trusted and followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes, saying, even you shall not go in there. Verse 38, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, in other words, in addition to these two, your little ones, your children, who you say will be victorious, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn Take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. What a situation. What an account of mankind's ability to not believe God. I mean, it is amazing. Verse 30, the Lord your God goes before you. He will fight for you. In case you forgot, according to what happened to the Egyptians, he'll go before you. According to that, just in case you forgot, remember the Egyptians. It's almost like, well, they were left to make that decision and nobody reminded them. No, Moses reminded them, hey, guys, the Egyptians, they didn't stand a chance. The same way the Lord's gonna go before us. But fear and uncertainty carried the day. 
As a side note, and I kind of touched on this earlier, but this reveals what generations, and I use generations, like we maybe don't experience all the same things in generations that they did, but a long period of bondage, what this can do to our hearts. Bondage will try its best to kill off a very important thing that has to be alive for any of us to step out in faith. You see, if hope is dead, you'll never step out in faith. And bondage always seeks to destroy, to kill, or to limit hope in your life. Any kind of bondage, whatever the bondage is, I've experienced little bits and pieces of bondage in my life. I'm sure many of you have, although no one would stand up because that's super not cool to have bondage in a church. But if you've been in bondage, maybe it's a way of thought. Maybe it's a way of, almost all of them have roots in a way of thinking. But if we have this bondage to a way of thinking or bondage to a behavior, it will always try to kill the hope that that way of thinking won't win. Does that make sense to anybody? Like when you get, a, when you get think away a certain way long enough, the hope that you won't ever think that way or that the way that you're thinking won't carry the day, that hope over time just dies. It starves and then eventually it is no more. The author of Proverbs writes it like this, hope deferred, hope put off, makes the heart sick. But when desire, when hope is realized, when the thing that you're hoping for is realized, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You see, this generation of Israelites, had, well, they weren't the first generation to grow up as slaves. When they were born, their parents were slaves. As they grew up, their parents were slaves. As they became adults, they were slaves. And if you look back, and we're not going to read it all, but if you look back, there was a point in time when this generation would have been reaching manhood and adulthood where the Egyptians cranked up the heat on their slavery. They turned it up because they start, the Egyptians had become fearful. They're like, beat them harder, make them work more, more production, fewer people. They had endured babies being ripped from them and killed. They had endured all of these things. And the hope of that promise that was given to Abraham, slowly it became more of a myth. It became more of a, I don't, like, I don't know if I see us getting there. Because like, that was dad's idea. That, I remember grandpa talking about that. I remember great grandpa, was grew, he grew up in the golden days of being in Egypt. And now here we are. Like, I don't think we're getting out. I don't, I don't know if I see that happening. Has anybody ever experienced this in your life? Maybe not generationally, maybe generationally in your mind, where you've been believing a thing. Believe I'll see, you know, we, we talk about the scripture in Psalm 27, where it says, I would have lost hope. I would have given up had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land that I'm living in. I've been there. I've been in that dry, that wilderness area where it's like, I don't know. I've seen the goodness of the Lord. Melinda and I had a situation this past uh, week and a half ago where something, a big decision in our lives was in front of us. We just weren't sure about it, weren't sure about it, weren't sure about it. And I had myself talked in to doing the wrong thing. Thank you for the laugh, Danny. I appreciate that. I'm just being transparent. I had myself, I even had my wife, who is usually my anchor. She was like, I guess, 
There's no other path forward. And then, providentially, the Lord opened up the right doors and we saw something else work. And in that moment, I looked at Melinda. I was sitting at our kitchen table and I looked, when this whole thing fell together, I looked at her and I'm like, why do we forget this so quickly? How do we forget these moments? Like I had so much peace. We spent a lot of time in Philippians chapter four in our house. And there's a, passage, there's a part of Philippians four where it talks about, and the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It will stand as a sentry watching for anything coming and alerting you, hey, there's something coming, there's something coming. That peace, when you experience that peace, there's no mistake in it, church. There's no, you can't go back like that particular moment in our hearts. You can't ever, I don't care what happens from this point on, you will ne- nothing will ever have access to that moment. And yet, so quickly, we forget. And we get back into, I'm not sure. I don't even know what peace feels like. And we find ourselves just like in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 22, we see, and every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us. Let them search out the land. You see, the spies were at the behest of the people. The spies weren't God's like, you know, I really want you to send spies out. The people, we gotta have spies. We're not just going in there blind. We gotta have intelligence. We gotta send some spies out. They didn't have drones. Lord knows if they'd have had drones, they'd have all had them flying over there. What does this look like? Huge guys, huge guys. Wow, look at the grapes. Huge guys, big cities, let's run. They sent spies out. It was at the behest of the people. It was not the Lord's idea. Let's go send these spies out. From a place of uncertainty, we sent the spies out. Ironically here, church, How many of you know the spies' information could have empowered them to be overcomers? It could have. Like, just hear me out. You're like, why? They were talking about giants and stuff. Yes, but remember what Caleb and Joshua, they're like, they said, and I I think it's in Numbers 13 somewhere. Let's see. Let's look at it. I want to read this because this is an important verse. Numbers 13. Did I give you any Numbers 13 anything, Olivia? Very encouraging. Okay, verse 28, we see, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Scary people. The cities are fortified and very large. Also, very scary. Things in our life, we're at the brink, as ah, this is way too scary. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak were there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. There's no hope, we're not making it. But then verse 30, this is the verse I was gonna have you pull up, Olivia. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Shh, everybody, don't listen to these 10 idiots. Let us go up at once and take possession. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in all the numbers. For we are well able to overcome it. Thank you, Jesus. We are well able to overcome it. You see, Caleb and Joshua saw the same stuff as the other 10. They just told it all together different. And they saw it different. The reason they were able to come back and say, everybody, shh, shh, these guys are scared. They should have never come. We can go. We're well able to overcome it because they had an act. 
accurate understanding of who went with them. They saw things accurately where the other 10 spies only saw things clearly. Now, I want to talk about the difference of that for a minute, and this probably is going to be our last point today. Uh, I got to find my note in this spot. Okay. As believers, <coughs> we must learn to see things accurately, not just clearly. We got a couple of people in here that are excellent marksmen. They're, they're great. Not only just with a pistol, but with a rifle. There's, there's a few people that I'm, I, I'm very concerned for their mental stability when they go out hunting. Things that can overpower them and eat them, and they take a bow and arrow. Like, and Chris and I were just talking about this morning, the bow and arrow was great in its day, but we have moved on as a society. But there's a few people I don't see, Gary is not here right now, but he, he believes in bows and arrows, and he's slain all kinds of things that could eat him. Austin has killed things with a bow and arrow that could eat him with a bow and arrow. But the technology that some of us would feel more comfortable with would be with a gun. But you know, if I bought a brand new gun I'm going to pick on Austin for a second because he's also an excellent marksman with a gun. Austin, I got a couple questions for you. If I buy a brand new gun, most expensive gun I can find, and I buy a really nice scope for it, I've got Allen wrenches that I personally own, and so I fasten the scope to the gun, and then I hand it to you, are you going to be able to accurately shoot it? Or is there something missing? What's that? What's that? Could you say that so that other people can hear? You have to sight it in. But if you were to look through the scope, you would be able to see fine before sighting it in. Right? You would be able to see everything that you could see after it was sighted in. In fact, I'm, a, I'm, ask, I'm never sighted, I've only sighted one gun in and it still doesn't hit anything. But would you say that the crosshairs are still there before sighting it in? So I could still put the crosshairs on something. You just don't think I'd hit it. My wife would vouch that I would probably not. If I did, it would be an accident. I'm not the marksman that my wife is. So this is an important thing that marksmen all over the world understand this. People, gun owners understand. It, you know, we have scopes now. They used to have sights, iron sights, and you'd put them on. And you know, you could put sights on something and then point it. And you may or may not, like Austin's just like, you might hit it, you might not. It's just going to be happenstance. Because without adjustment, without sighting it in, there's no way to know if you're accurately viewing things or accurately aiming, accurately guiding, accurately seeing things. The 10 spies had their gun and they had a scope. They just never sighted the dumb thing in. So they don't know what they're seeing clearly. These guys are huge. These walls are tall. The people are crazy big. Yeah, there's all the fruit and everything. What they missed was who went with them. They didn't understand who went with them. See, <coughs> all throughout Scripture, Joshua 1, 9, I'm going to read a few spitfire verses here. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, fear not for I am 
With you, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. All throughout Scripture, this continues on into the New Testament, the New Covenant in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. <coughs> Let your character, your mor- this is in the Amplified, your moral essence, your inner nature, be free from the love of money. Shun greed, be financially ethical. Be content with what you have, for as he has said, I will never, under any circumstances, desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake you or let you down, or, and I love this, relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So, verse six, we take comfort, we are encouraged, and confidently say, the Lord is my helper in time of need. I will not be afraid what man will do to me. John 16, verse 7, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He said, it is to your advantage that I, Jesus, go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Ghost, will not come to you. But if I depart, buddy, I will send him to you. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, we see now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. By this we know that he abides where? In us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 reads, you are of God, little children. You have overcome them because what? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. From cover to cover, your Bibles are telling you one thing. The Lord desires to be with you. And when you realize that he is with you, there is nothing that can knock you off of peace. It's impossible. You can't be knocked off peace. When you get to the Kadesh Barnea of your life, when you get to the Red Sea of your life, when you're in bondage in Egypt and you don't know how to get out, the Lord your God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will go before you. He will go behind you. He's your front guard and he is the rear guard. The peace, the magnitude of this, Jesus fulfilled the old covenant to enact the new covenant so that we can have the spirit of God not just beside us, but within us. For 4,000 years, God had said, I'll be with you, 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 I'll be with you. And then they're like, we just don't know, we just don't know, we're not sure. He's like, fine, I'm coming in you. I'm gonna come in the spirit, I'm gonna be inside of you and I will lead you, I will guide you. And the greater pressure resides on the inside of us. Now you say, Okay, but what do we do with this? Back to my conversation with Austin. We can see things clearly. In church, the world's a dark place. There's a lot of evil things. There's a lot of scary things. There's death. There's addiction. There's pain. There's hurt. There's injury. There's financial lack. There's loss. There's a lot of bad things. And you can zoom in on your scope and you can see. And it's like, oh, oh my goodness, all of the bad things. Once you get that baby sighted in, you realize that greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. You have the greater power on the inside of you. Say, okay, reverend, don't call me reverend, preacher's fine. How do you sight it in? I call Tom, the reason I said that, I call Tom reverend, so it'd be confusing if you were to say reverend to me, I would think you're talking to Tom. How do you sight this in in your life? That's a great analogy, metaphor. That's great. It's fun to preach that. How does it look in practice? The practice of sighting 
your life in is studying Scripture. It's not listening to songs. I'm for listening to songs. I love playing songs. I love singing songs. Worship's awesome, and worship is huge. It's good. But you know, worship songs, people wrote them. I'm not saying the Lord wasn't involved in any of the writing of songs. I'm not mad at songs. The way you dial that scope in in your life to where you see things accurately is to study the word. What does the word say about you? What does the word say about your circumstances? Big picture, the reality is the entire word of God is shaping, is shadowing, is revealing this new covenant, which the greatest reality, the thing that is clearer than anything, that is greater than anything at all, is the new covenant. Because all fear, we know this as humans, all fear is rooted in what? Fear of death. I'll answer it for you. Fear of death. All fear is rooted in a fear of death. Every single fear you have has its roots in a fear of death. Every fear that I have has its roots in a fear of death and what lays after that. So once you put that one to rest, what do you have left to be afraid of? Nothing. We can say with the Apostle Paul, greater, sorry, that wasn't the Apostle Paul, that was John. We can say with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. How do you get a guy like Paul down? He had committed himself. He had resigned himself. This is how I'm going to live. I'm going to declare the gospel. When I'm free, I'm going to preach it. I'm going to preach it everywhere I go. You say it's illegal? Well, you can throw me in prison. They throw him in prison? Perfect. I got quiet time to write letters and keep sharing the gospel. Okay, we're going to kill him. Let's kill him. That'd be the best. Okay, thank you so much. He's excited. I'm going to be with the Lord for me to live as Christ, but to die, that's gain. If I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. Thank you so much. Okay, the threat of killing him didn't work. What, What do you do with a guy like that? You can't get his peace. You can't beat it out of him. You can't threaten it out of him. You can't even kill it out of him. That's for all of us. That's available. It's not like just a, well, that's just a good thing. You know, it's fun to look at. I mean, it was good for Paul. It was good for Paul. It was, I mean, it was, it was good because he wrote some Bible verses and stuff. That's for us. That is for us. We are, there is, and Paul is one of the clearest teachers in all of Scripture that there's neither Greek nor free, nor free. There's Scythian, bond free, Jew. There's, in Christ, we're all equal. This is not like, well, that was just for Paul. No, that piece is for all of us. That's available so that when we walk out the door of this place today, when you walk out the door of your house tomorrow, you can throw your shoulders back. Not say, no, this is, you might think, so nothing bad's gonna happen? No, I guarantee there's gonna be bad things somewhere in your life. Guarantee, just put that out of your mind. Don't do this. There's this kind of a strange bent towards some people in Christianity where it's like, if we do enough, uh, if we do enough of the things and that we say the things in the right order and we do them often enough, then we're never gonna have hardship which is not in the word. But what you will have is when you encounter hardship, it's gonna be like Paul. It's like, oh man, I bet there's people in the middle of this hardship that need Jesus. Where are they at? I'm gonna tell them about Jesus. When you find yourself in a hospital, I bet there's people in here that don't know Jesus. I'm gonna take my IV pole and I'm gonna march the halls and find somebody that doesn't know Jesus. You will find this, there's nothing can get you down, which is what everyone actually wants. 
Everyone desires to have that peace, that inner peace, that regardless of the storms around you, regardless of what you see around you, difficulties, hardships, problems, good times, great times even, regardless of all of that, your inner peace is just like floating along at peace in here. It's not that there's not gonna be any difficulty, but the difficulty you will see, what we're talking about with the scope, the difficulty, you're just gonna see it accurately. I've shared with you guys a few times, and we're wrapping up here. I've shared with you guys a few times. I got a couple of people that are going through some difficult times right now that I've been praying with, meeting with, sharing scripture with, and one of my prayers for them, and it's my prayer for all of us as believers, it's kind of become that, especially even with this teaching today, is that we would see things as they are, not as they appear to be. That's, you see, that's how anxiety works. It's the opposite of that. The way anxiety works is it gets you to see things as they aren't, but as they appear. And it gets you to focus on the, way, the appearance of a thing as though it is reality. And our job as believers is to say, no, 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 no. This here, this is my reality. And it's not to say that a diagnosis from a doctor is not a real thing. It's just nothing compared to this. It's, it's the idea of, I mean, this, not to make this too big of a metaphor, but the idea of there can be a lot of creatures in the woods coming after you, but if you have a properly sighted in 30-06, there's just not that much that's going to be greater than that if it's sighted in. If it's properly and accurately sighted in. This, again, I'm not, that's, somebody could like clip my, so you think the Bible's a 30-06? No. Danny's gonna, that's coming back from Danny at some point, I'm certain. But this is the greatest. It's just the greatest. There's nothing greater you know the old thing when you're in, I don't even know what grade you're in, it was homeschooled, we didn't, you know, the grades were kind of slushy, but there was the, the, uh, the greater than sign. Remember in math, the little, well, this is greater than this. The word of God is always on the side of greater. And to the degree that we dial this in, to the degree that we keep adjusting and tweak, we get our scope so fine-tuned that we know exactly what is ours, what promises are ours, what is true for us, to see things as they truly are, which is what John had such a grasp on. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, you are of God. Little children, raise your hand and say, I am of God today. I am of God. You and have overcome because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Our source of courage our source of strength, our source of victory, and our source of some days just the ability to put one foot in front of the other is the same all through the generations. Jehovah, our God, he is Emmanuel, he is God with us, and he is the spirit of God within us. If you would join me in standing this morning, I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration and a prayer. This morning at the rock, we choose to take courage with Caleb, and Joshua, because we know that the Lord our God is with us, regardless of the reports of those around us or what the natural circumstances may look like, 
We know that we are heirs of promise. Heirs of the promise, the greatest promise ever made. We know that the Spirit of the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Provides us with peace in the waiting. The courage and strength to move when we get the green light. Though difficulties arise, we believe the word that the Apostle John wrote, that greater is he who is within us than he who is within the world. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we can declare these things this morning. Father, I thank you that you've given us your word that we can sight our eyes in, see things as they truly are, Lord. Thank you that you reveal from Genesis to Revelation your greatness and your goodness, your presence with us and your desire to maintain that presence. Father, I thank you so much for each person that is in this room. For every believer that is within the sound of my voice, I just pray the blessing of Abraham upon their lives. If there's anybody that is listening that is not sure, Father, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be free to move in their hearts, that they would realize that this is not hard. It is as simple as to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And you become an heir of the promises of God. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus, which is where we are as believers, they are yes and they are amen. Let it be as we have said. Father, I thank you for your presence with us today. Let's pray a blessing and I pray boldness over this body as we go from this place. We would carry the gospel just as the apostle Paul did. Not with a baseball bat, but Father, that we would carry it with courage and certainty. We just pray a blessing over this body. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week.